Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Contractor Evolution. John Maxwell's book, The Five Levels of Leadership, is one of the most popular and highly rated leadership books of all time. And the fundamental premise is simple. No one cares that you were the boss, the foreman, the site super, or even the business owner. I mean, sure, a title does give you a small amount of clout, but the leverage it gives you is limited, and it certainly doesn't last very long. To gain the sphere of influence you need, you have to progress through the five levels of leadership, from position to permission, that's level two, to production, that's level three, to people development, level four, and then finally pinnacle, that's level five. Now, most of our Breakthrough Academy contractors are unbelievable level three leaders. They've mastered what Maxwell calls the production level, getting it done, driving results, leading that project to completion, right? This is all second nature to most of you at this point. Now, the beast you're trying to slay is level four leadership, which is all about people development. Because if you don't replicate yourself, you basically just own a job. Developing the people and talent around you so that they can drive those results that you once did is what moves you from good to great. And it's also what gives you the freedom to step away and enjoy what you've built. So I'm super excited today to have Perry Hawley guesting on the show. He's the host of the Maxwell Leadership Executive Podcast. He's a certified Maxwell Leadership Coach, and he's the author of Repeat the Remarkable. He delivered a phenomenal keynote at our leadership retreat a few months ago, and I wanted to have him back on the pod. So let's dive in with Perry Hawley, and let's learn how to graduate from great producers into people developers. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Perry, welcome to Contractor Evolution. How are you? Fantastic, Benji. Good to be with you. So we had you at uh, this really phenomenal leadership retreat we did a, a couple months ago, and uh, you put together a really nice kind of half-day presentation for the group. And I wanted, I wanted to kind of go back and, and hit some of the notes again that, that were touched on there. Uh, you know, that was obviously a small private event just for our BTA members. This podcast has a much larger audience, and, and I, I loved what I heard enough I wanted to go back to it. Four, and today we're going to really dive into sort of the, the, the five levels of leadership frame, framework and zoom in on a couple of them in particular. But for the, for the unacquainted, for, for those that have not read the book or uh, not studied this practice as, as closely as, as you have, can you give us an overview yeah. uh, of the five levels of leadership framework here at the beginning? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, that was a great event. I, uh, I mean, how many people did we have in that room? That was amazing. Yeah, great time. The... The idea for the, anybody not knowing the five levels, uh, John Maxwell, the creator of that, probably 35 years ago, um, was teaching and realized that leadership, for all he could figure out, it was nothing more than influence. So leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And so he, he determined that there were these five levels of influence that you could climb, uh, increasing your influence at every at every level. Uh, then he, when you say leadership is influence, influence is leadership, he changed to the five levels of leadership. It all starts with level one. Uh, most of us, uh, by the way, level one and level five are given to you, awarded to you. So level one is about uh, position, uh, that you have a title. Um, more than likely you were promoted, uh, that you became the boss. 
And it's a great compliment. Somebody saw something in you and gave you that opportunity to lead. Uh, we say it's the lowest level of influence because your title does give you some influence. Um, you have the right to tell people what to do, but you won't be successful very long in leading if you lean, uh, if your all your influence is based on your title. So you, all all you the only way you get things done is by telling people what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't want to be bossed, so they won't stay with you. You'll devalue people. You'll probably struggle with retaining uh, retaining top talent. So you want to get out of that to level two as quickly as possible. Level, level two, they all begin with a P, by the way. So the P word at level one was position. The P word at level two is permission. And I, I think this is the greatest leap in all of leadership because at level one, when they followed you because they had to, you're the boss. At level two, they follow you because they want to. And you start thinking to yourself, what would make someone move from follow me because they have to to follow me because they want to? I love that John used the word permission. What that means is that at level one, you have the right to tell me what to do. You're the boss. But at level two, I have the control. The follower has the control. And I, I, I get to choose whether I give you permission, the P word, permission, to lead me and to influence me. I give you permission to influence me. And that means I'm here because I want to. And all that's built on relationships is the key there is that you start getting to know people. You start to care for people. You start to show them that you're investing in them and that you have their best interests at heart. And they, they in turn, give you permission. They didn't hire us to be there just for relationships, so you have to produce results. That's level three. The P word is production. The R word is results. And it says that people now follow you because of what you're doing for the organization. You're... Uh, you're producing results. There's a positive momentum that's built there. By the way, all your credibility as a leader is found at level three. If you don't produce results, you won't be a leader very long. So everything that's hard there is, uh, you know, setting a goal, setting a standard, setting expectations, uh, setting priorities, uh, holding people accountable, having difficult conversations. All the things that really drive the organization and drive the results is found at level three. But people because you have a strong level two, you have good relationships, people want to be in in the trenches with you and you're with them and it's a great place to be. You build that positive momentum. After some time of building re- results and building relationships and delivering results and building relationships and delivering results, you'll notice perhaps some on your team that exhibit leadership potential. You know, they look at, they actually have a desire to want to go up in the organization. Uh, they may be part of your succession plan that's going to replace you. It may be your next generation of leaders coming through your organization. And so for these select few, you would go to level four. The P word is people development. The R word is reproduction. You're reproducing you. You're reproducing leaders. And you begin to invest in people and developing them as leaders. Now, there will be some that don't want to go to the next level, be some that aren't ready to go to the next level, but you're still developing uh, people development uh, with everyone, you're you're investing in people and requiring people to have a development plan and to be growing. Um, growth is not optional. So we, we look at uh, leaders as in, insisting that their teams be growth-minded, growth-mindsetted, and be looking toward toward growing. And that final level is level five. It's, it's the other level that's that's given to you, that's awarded to you. Level two, three, and four, you have to earn. Level one was given. Level five is given. And level five, the P word is pinnacle. And the R word is respect. And it says that people now follow you for what you stand for, for who you are. And you think about that as you were delivering results and developing more leaders and delivering results and developing more leaders. Perhaps, if you're fortunate, 
one of those leaders will rise up and call you a level five leader to them. You can't call yourself a five. Someone else has to do that. And when you put it all together, that's the five levels. So I want to make sure I'm, I'm kind of getting, uh, make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Level one position is really the only clout you have is the title beside your name. Hey, I, I, I'm the boss. I'm the manager. I'm the supervisor. I'm the foreman. Therefore, you have to or you ought to or you should listen to me, which which can work for a very short period of time. But did, the yeah. issue with that is it's not a whole lot of leverage. It's basically just a word. So that's I mean, it's 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 better than nothing, but it's it's still pretty limited in terms of what you can get done. That's that's level one. You move to level two because people maybe you you, you said this. You said it's the biggest jump. So what? Why and why is it the biggest jump? And how do people need to make that jump? Is it when you say it's permission and people follow you because they like you or they they you said they follow you because they want to. What, what makes them want to generally? How do leaders make yeah. that, that first jump? Well, that's a great question. I always ask when I'm able to speak on this is that are you aware, do you buy into the common belief that the people around you, the people on your team, the people in your company are watching you all the time? And I don't think I've ever anybody said they disagree that because we all kind of watch our leaders. We, we're watching you and to see. And so what are they watching for? And I've determined probably four things. Uh, they're watching your actions. Do they line up? Does your audio and video line up? Do you do what you say you'll do? Um, they watch, even more importantly, I think they watch your reactions. They watch, how do you handle good news? How do you handle bad news? My favorite word in leadership is consistency. Are, are you consistent when things are flying at you or do you uh, lose it? Do you uh, struggle with, uh, we, we call it, uh, de delay your emotions or display your emotions? If you get emotional and, and start to display your emotions when tough, difficult, or bad things happen, people aren't, they're watching. They're going to decide, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't, it doesn't feel safe to bring you bad news. I may just hold back. I may just pull back. And it, it kills influence when you th throw your emotions all over people. So they're watching your actions and your reactions. They're also watching your interactions. How do you talk to people? How do you talk to people above you? that you feel are important? How do you talk to people below you that you think are not important? How do you talk to servers at restaurants and housekeeping at a hotel? Do you acknowledge or see people that don't have status? And so people are watching all the time. They say, man, you're very disrespectful to people that are lower than you in the, in the pecking order. Mm -hmm. But man, you really suck up when there's people above you. So watching your actions, your reactions, your interactions, and in general, watching your behaviors. And and because of that, when that you know when they they have to make this decision, maybe even every day, am I going to give you permission to influence me? I'm watching you, and I'm going to say, you know what? Based on what I see, based on what it feels like to be around you, I'm going to give you permission to leave me. Right. I'm I'm I want to be here, and that's why I say it's an amazing leap in, from a follower's point of view. They have the they have the vote vote. They make the choice. And you've heard a term in the marketplace recently called quiet quitting, that if you stayed at this level one, you don't want to climb these levels. You say, I don't, I don't buy that. I got the title. I'm the boss says right there, Perry, boss man. People don't want to be boss. And what they will do is they will, uh, they will back off. They will disengage. They'll do the minimum. Uh, they'll look for opportunities to escape. There are, there are all kinds of negative things to leaning on level one only. That's why we say you have to start climbing, but you have to do some work because they have to give you permission 
to lead them or it's not going to work. And so that's why level two is really the most important leap they make uh, mm-hmm. getting to that. I want to. Now, perfect. So well said. And, and, and thank you for kind of clarifying some of the criterion that a follower might use to decide, hey, I'm going to give this person permission to lead me. Now, production level three is sort of the is is characterized by a level of output, by a level of results delivery, by a level of getting it done-ness within the organization. And so, and you said the credit, the credit, your all of your credibility is built at level three because if you're not uh, putting points on the board, uh, if you're not getting stuff across the finish line, people just kind of like you because you're a great guy or or an interesting woman or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, that's better. That's better than them not liking you. But again, time mm-hmm. is limited, and so moving into that that three stage is critical there. Absolutely, uh, you you. Uh uh, it's so funny because what I've noticed about myself is, um, you know, there's, I think you and I had, had talked about this uh, before about there's two types of people, those that really thrive on the relationships uh, and the people and those that really thrive on the task, on the production, on the, on the work. And you, you have to do both to be successful. Hear me, you have to do both. But if you had a preference, you would do one or the other. I think you and I decided you, you're more that production a task type person. You like to just get into the work. I am a very relationship type person. I am very people oriented. The danger here, we both have a danger is that I tend to, and people like me with relationship will tend to hang out, camp out at level two. It feels good. I'm good at it. I love it. I'm, I'm walking down the hall. I'm checking on people. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm finding out about stuff. You, on the other hand, you know, you are getting your head down and putting it, get the people and you're kind of driving the people and you're showing the way and you're going the way um, and you're doing that. So what's the danger for me? The danger for me is that you might come to work one day and say, what happened to Perry? Everybody liked him. Well, they fired him because he wasn't producing results. Mm-hmm. But what's the, what's the, the danger zone for you and, the, and those of us on the task production side of things is that we tend to skip level two. We just go right around level two, which is the relationship side. You say, well, what's the danger in that? Well, the danger in that is the people will feel like you're, you're pushing them, you're driving them, you're pushing them, but you don't care about me. You're just doing it for your own good. You're trying to make the company successful, but you're pushing me, you're pushing me. There's nothing for me. And so if I can do both, um, balance that you level two and level three is that I have a relationship with you, but I, I do ask for hard things, yeah. but you know, I found that people don't mind working hard. They they want to know that you know they're working hard, and they want to know that you're in it with them, and they want to know that you care about them. But they'll work hard. But the minute you start pulling back on no relationship, no connection, no common ground, all those things start to go away. Then all of a sudden, we're back to bossing me and pushing me, and um, most people aren't going to respond well to that. Now, when you look at this 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 five levels of leadership framework, and there's sort of five words that start with P, which make it more memorable: per, position, permission, production, people development, and pinnacle. And you've you've coached this with you know executive teams, with large corporations, with small businesses, with entrepreneurs. Uh, can you tell the listener why is it useful to look at leadership this way? Why is it where's the utility in in using this lens to look at the whole idea of leadership through? Yeah, great question. And I've, you know, probably failed to mention that probably the biggest learning for most people when they hear this model, uh, I remember having a guy that I was uh, coaching and 
he, I gave him the outline one week and on our next call, our next coaching call, he said, Perry, I've really been thinking about this a lot. And I've determined that he kind of looks both ways. He says, I've determined I'm a four, I'm a, I'm a four, maybe a high three, but I'm a four. <laughs> and I said, well, you, you kind of missed the, uh, the big picture here. The big picture and the number one learning is that now why I love this model it kind of got me out of a ditch I was in early in my leadership career was you're never a four. You're on a different level with every single person in your circle of influence. And I should point out that influence is 360 degrees. You, we're generally in this conversation, we're talking about a leader leading down, um, influencing down to people that report to me. But you're also influencing side to side to your peers, to the others in the organization that are at your level. You're also influencing up to your boss or supervisors that are above you. Uh, you may be the, the head person in the organization, but maybe you have a board of directors or a board of, of uh, advisors of some sort. You have someone that holds you accountable, then you're reporting up to them. Um, either way, you always have this influence. And by the way, it's not just a work thing. You have influence at home or not. And you have influence at the church or the HOA or the uh, community uh, group. Influence is everywhere. You either have it or you don't. And the reason we like looking at it this way is that in John Maxwell's first really big successful book so many years ago it was called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It's a great read, easy read, but it gives you these 21 laws. But law one is always the law of the lid. And, and what John's message was there is that your ability to lead, and I'll just insert the word influence because they're the same thing, your ability to influence or lead will determine your effectiveness in all of life. So you think about that and you're in a, uh, you're in the bowling league and you, you have no influence. You're not going to be effective at getting people to buy into what you're, you're at work. You have a lot of influence. People are going to stop and listen to you. So if we, we think about it being a lid that you're always hitting up against that lid. So what are you doing to raise your leadership lid so that you can become more effective? And that's real, really where the game of influence comes in to say, how can I gain influence with the people in my circle up, down and across? so that I can be more effective in all that I do. I want to go back to something you just said because it, it's it's we kind of blew past it and it's worth unpacking. You're not at the same level of leadership with everyone. So I think at a, at a glance, you could look at this and you sort of, uh, you could look at these, you could look at these like karate belts. In fact, I put a little diagram <laughs> on my page and they're colored almost the exact same. It's like yellow belt, orange belt, you know, you kind of progress. It's not that simple in the sense that once you're a four, you're a four and everyone knows you're a four. You're making the case that you could be you could be at level one with someone you lead who just joined the team and they barely know mm -hmm. you and there's not a lot of trust. You could simultaneously be at a level four with someone else who you've been in the trench and with trenches with mm -hmm. for five years. And you could be with a, you could be on a three with your wife and a two with your kid. Like it's 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 much more dynamic than this sort of like I'm I'm this level for everyone. One type of type of approach. Oh yeah, I, that was the uh, just uh, blew my mind when I thought, well, wait a minute, this is explaining a lot to me about my struggles as a young leader coming up. Was I was pretty enamored first of all with my title, and I had worked hard as a salesman, and I had become a sales manager, and then I became a sales executive. And the higher I went, the more impressed with myself I was. However, I didn't have any influence with anyone. I wasn't building relationships. I wasn't developing delivery results. I was actually pushing people and demanding a lot of people that I wasn't getting any buy-in from people. So right. um, 
And I, I, what I love about it also is that you, you kind of move in and between. You, you made a really, um, you said a really great thing was that, you, let's say I'm working at a level three, four, two, three, four. I'm really good. I'm in with this team and I have a new hire come in. Well, what level am I, am I with the new hire? Well, I'm a level one because I, they don't, I don't have any relationship. I have nothing. They, they just see me and they're watching me and that new hire is going to have to make the leap to decide, am I going to give Benji the, the, yeah. the right to lead me? I'm going to give you permission to lead me. And so you start right away building relationship with the new hire. Uh, happened to me a lot was in IBM, you get promoted where I was at IBM, you get promoted, you move, they move you to a new city. It's almost like witness relocation. They put you somewhere where nobody <laughs> knows you or the sins of your past. Well, now I got, I have 10, 11, 12 new people. What level? I'm, a, I'm completely level one across the board. What do I do with that? Well, I start building the relationships and uh, de delivering the results. Somebody asked me in a, in a um, presentation one time, they said, well, how long should I stay at level two building those relationships before I start worrying about results? Okay, no, no, no. These are parallel activities. You cannot wait. You must be delivering results today but realize that you're probably not going to have the cohesion of the team and the drive that you could if you really were working on level two. So we're going to deliver results while we're doing level two. Would I ever go level one on someone? Like just go back to telling you what to do? You could, but I, I try to stay away from that. It could be an influence uh, hurt, a killer. It could bring influence down if you depend on how you do it. But there are times when you have to say, listen, I need to go level one and I need to just tell you what I need done because we're in a situation here. Um, but you, you kind of, you, you go in between these levels. You just, what I loved about it was it told me, what do I need to do as a leader before that? For me, leadership was all theory and I didn't really get it. But when yeah. I said, what do I actually do? Well, I can determine that I'm a level two with Benji. I want to go to level three. What would that require of me? And then we start looking at some of these influence builders at level three to help get things done together, to drive results, to move the ball. Uh, to do those types of things, what would it take for me to get Benji to really moving in that direction with me to do that? And he's bought into me because, you know, we talk about some of these other laws, the law of buy-in is that people buy into you as a leader before they ever buy into what you're trying to get them to do. So if you don't have the influence, they're not bought into you, they're sure not going to do what you're asking them to do or not going to do it fully engaged. So lots of dynamics moving two to three. Uh, and, and what do I do with each individual person from a one to a two, two to a three? I have a plan now on how I, on how I move forward yeah. with every individual. Yeah, I know that that's very interesting. And I, I, I would have to say that that's been the most, that's where I've gotten the most value, uh, out of, out of learning. This is the simple idea of understanding what level I sit on with the people on my team. And it's actually very clear. It doesn't take long to reflect on you go, Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm on a, I'm at a one with him. I'm at a two with her, but looks like we could get to three soon Four with her and uh, three with this person and actually back to one over here with this person. Like it's, and it, 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 it helps you kind of prioritize where you put your time and energy as a leader with the people who report to you. It, it really does because then you can go uh, more rapport building in a lunch with this person so that we can just spend some time together and get mm -hmm. to know each other. Good. Whereas over here, we know each other pretty well. We got to get some shit done like that, yeah. like that. And so that's good to know. So it's, it really does really? give you a little bit more nimble, a little bit more dynamic, a slightly more flexible approach to influencing your people. Now, in the book, there is a chapter, uh, I can't remember which one, but it sort of says insights on the five levels. And there were a couple that really leapt off the page to me. I wanted to just uh, chuck them out to you and get your thoughts on them. One of them is this, the higher you go, the more time and commitment is required to win a level. The higher you go, it, it, 
so you think about that. So I'm going to level two at just relationships, getting to know you during buy-in, common ground, kind of natural things we do when we're trying to to connect with people. Uh, going to the next level, the the higher you go, it also the easier it is to lead because the more influence I have, then the more um, people are going to buy in and want to participate with me. But get, getting results from people is uh, sometimes very trying. It's, it's why all your credibility is found at level three, uh, is that it requires more of you to begin to engage with the people in the challenge of the work. Uh, you can't just throw it over the walls and say, here, go handle this. You you actually need to do some work to make sure they have the resources, they have the, the they've been equipped, they've been developed, that they can act like an empowered uh, team member and not just waiting around for you to tell them what to do. You go to level four, you start saying, uh, you know, I asked people, I said, well, how many people do you, can you go to level four with on your team? And they said, well, everybody. I said, well, be careful because not everybody's ready to go out to the next level to be a leader. Not everybody wants to climb the ladder to be a leader. And if they do, it's going to require extra effort from you. Developing another human being as a leader is not an easy task. It, it requires time from you. Uh, it requires commitment from you. So if I said I'm going to take Benji, I'm committing to go to level four with Benji, I'm going to start maybe doing some leadership development with you. I may uh, take you to some meetings I'm going with to let you observe. I may read a book together with you on, on some of the things we're trying to learn. Uh, I may have you do some presentation. Uh, there's a lot of things I could do to start building your level of uh, your level of uh, leadership in you so that you'll one day be able to move to the next level yourself. So, you know, the higher you go, it gets easier because you have more influence, but it also requires um, more of you uh, as you set these people in motion. Um, however, I will say, and, it, and I think this is something that came up at our meeting with uh, the BTA group was the, that, would you like to see your business work without you or do you want to see it work because of you? And so many of us make ourselves indispensable by being the answer man and having all the, uh, we have all the answers, we have all the direction. We we don't empower the people, and thus that kind of sets us up that the business, if we step away, it could slow down or even stop if we're not there to tell people what to do. So I'm always thinking of what would it take to see this place work without me? And that means going to that level three, four, where people are, are highly competent, they they feel empowered. Uh, I can delegate with trust, knowing that work is getting done, and people are thinking like owners, not like hired hands and waiting for me to tell them what to do. Uh, so this it developed this level of leadership that is so great that people can function in my absence. I, that became a goal for me to say, how do I get you developed to such a state that you can run this without me? That way, I, and I, I'm not going anywhere, but I, I can think about higher level things. I can think about the next business. I can think about the next uh, goal that we want to have. I can put strategies in place because I'm working on the business now, not working in the business like so many of us get caught up doing. Moving up occurs slowly, but going down can happen quickly. Yeah, what <laughs> do you think that's about? <laughs> the law yeah, of gravity. The, yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the, uh, the linchpin of leadership is trust. Uh, if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. So um, as you climb these levels with people and you begin to develop influence, you're developing a level of trust. Um, actually, we say that, you know, really in level two, that one of the great questions that we learn about is that every follower, every follower in your circle of influence, so think uh, work, home, community, everybody that's got an eye on you is asking three questions about you. 
And the first question is, and I, I think people should write this down because this is it's so easy. You, you'll think, I got it, but you don't got it. But I think you should ask this question every day when you look at your family, when you look at your, your team at work, your peers at work, uh, and maybe in the community, wherever you're serving, to say question number one is, uh, does, does my boss try to help me? So they want to know, Are, can you help me? And you think about how do you help your family members? How do you help your teammates? How do you help your peers? If they perceive you as helping them, that's a great influence starter right there. Question number two is, do you care about me? And the question is, are they saying, are you care about me or do you care about yourself and the company only? Are you, do you really care about me personally and professionally? It's a little bit odd one that we would have to have another podcast to talk about this one because everybody kind of uh, receives care differently. So you need to pay attention to the people on your team and what should, what shows care to you may not show care to them. But I also, I infuse the word appreciation. How do you show care and appreciation to people on your team? Do they know that you care about them, that you appreciate them? So how do you let them know? And so the third word, uh, third question everybody's asking is, can I trust you? And you start thinking about that as a, I know you're probably, because you're running these companies, you're, you're probably not lying, cheating, and stealing. Those are the big three. So why do we struggle with trust? Why am I climbing these levels quickly? I fall, I'm coming down slowly. It's, it, you know, it's a thousand little things that we can do to break trust with people. It could be I just learned one that I struggled with that I didn't know I struggled with. Somebody pointed it out to me. Uh, part of my inner circle is another great concept. Somebody close to me that can tell me the truth said, you know, you, you make commitments just kind of flippantly. Somebody will say, hey, can you send me that white paper? Of course I can send the white paper. It's no big deal. I just click, click, I send the white paper, but I didn't. And then I forgot it. And then what I realized after they showed me that I do this is that I have a lot of people asking me for things and I just say, yes, 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 yes. And then I don't do it. Well, when you say yes to somebody, you'll do something. It may be a flippant thing to me, but it's a major commitment to you. I just committed that I would send something to you. And when you have to start saying, well, I have to ask Perry three, four times to get something, all of a sudden I'm wondering, why are you not trying to help me? Do you even care about me? Why I can't trust you? And so the three questions come up quite a bit. So you can use that little test. Think of every person on your team, every person in your family, and say, do they know I'm trying to help them? Am I trying to help them? Do they know I care about them? Do I care about them? Do they know they can trust me? Am I being trustworthy with them? And it, it begins to break down walls that are blocking us from having higher levels of influence. So here's where I want to take the conversation now. I, um, when I look at these five levels, one thing, and, and I think about our listeners, um, you know, growing a construction or trades or home service business. And, you know, so I'm generalizing here. I, I we speak to a broad audience. There's going to be a few exceptions to this rule. But I think if I looked at the aggregate and the patterns therein, I think that most of our listeners are, you know, they've got position. They have permission. They're, they're, they're well-liked. They've got integrity. They, they're observably kind of like noble um, and hardworking people to the people that work with them. So they got permission. And they even have production. They're quite, if you think about kind of the archetypal, uh, you know, blue collar business owner, 
they're very good at getting stuff done. They finish things. They, uh, they're they gritty. They'll put in the long day. They'll close the job because they told the client they would on this day. Uh, they'll get on to the next one promptly. Like They are very, very good at making those plays on the field mm-hmm. to put the points on the board and win the game and then move on to the next game. Like That is really a power zone for them. And they're admired and respected and revered inside their businesses for that skill. Where a lot of them seem to get stuck, and this is coming directly from our Breakthrough Academy membership and the questions we get asked and what comes up in coaching calls and and the line of questioning like in that room that you were in when we did this session together, is a lot of them get stuck, I think, between three and four. They're like, man, I'm so good at completing jobs and getting paid and and running this little business, but I'm not that gr- I, How do I develop people? How do I, how do I turn raw talent into truly like polished executive level leaders within my business? And here's why this is really important. I thought I thought about this over the weekend. If you stop at level three, you can be successful, you can make lots of money, but you've basically just bought yourself a job and the idea of freedom is still a fantasy because you've not yet reproduced yourself. And the reproducing yourself, I think, becomes available in level four. So that's my take on on where I think our audience is at. They're, they're kind of really good on the three level, wanting to get to the four level. Can we can we go deeper on level three and then and then in particular mm-hmm. talk about how to get to level four? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you're on the great uh, point that um, we would teach the the leader. Um, one of the leader's main jobs is to create more leaders. And so if you're not creating more leaders, you're you're you need to be focused more on that because you're like you just said you're not going to be able to sustain this if it's all dependent on you. And it, what I found in my early career, I was I had some insecurities about why would I want to develop someone? What if they're better than me? And I realized that, yeah, it's not going to be hard to be better than me. I, I, I should really want them to be better than me. Um, and I want to be developing people so that I have options. What I had before that was, just at, and I think a lot of your business owners, I've, I've heard this in the room, was it's, it's at me adding me to this and adding me to that and adding me to this project and adding me to that. That's an addition problem that it's not scalable. What I want to switch to is a multiplication uh, scenario where I can multiply myself so that there's more of little me's running around that I've been developing that can help me run the business and then grow the business. And it actually frees me up to focus more on the business instead of being in the business. So when we get to level three, I think you made a really great observation is we're so good at getting it done. We're so good at moving across the finish line that we we do get in the business a bit much. Some of us, I know this was true for me, I didn't, I think it was a trust issue. I didn't trust people could do it as well as me. And I just, um, I just put myself, I just added myself. It was almost micromanaging instead of empowering. But another problem we see when, when uh, people come up and you have a skill and you're good at that skill, you kind of get promoted, you get, you get to the next level and to the next level. We're promoted as based on our skill, and most of us haven't spent any time thinking about how to lead people. We've been getting things done through us, not getting things done through others. And now all of a sudden, we, we call this uh, you know moving from soloist to conductor. You were a soloist on the team, you were, you're the best soloist there, and they said, hey, we'd like you to conduct the entire orchestra. 
well, I don't know anything about orchestra, uh, conducting orchestras. I'm in the orchestra. I don't know how to direct an orchestra. And you realize, yes, we just we got promoted. So that's why we get a lot of managers and not leaders, mm-hmm. is that we got promoted based on our skill when we don't really know how to lead. So we become super soloists, and we start putting ourselves, applying ourselves all over the business instead of learning leadership, learning how to get things done, influencing others, growing them, developing them, equipping them so that they can become empowered and then run the business, perhaps in my absence. Now, I don't have to be present for every decision to be made. The, the, the locus of control can be moved to others because I've been working with them. I've been developing them. So it's very tempting to stay at level three because we're really good at it and we get things done. It's really more of a challenge to go to level four because one, I'm not really sure how to develop someone else, and I don't think I have the time to develop someone else because I'm so busy doing level three stuff. I I need to actually make a plan to work it into my schedule that I'm going to develop others. I'm going to do it on purpose. Uh, It's another thing. Growth doesn't happen by accident. I've just noticed that in my own life is that I thought, yeah, I I went to university. I read those books. I'm done. Now, when when you're done learning, you're done. That's that's for sure. So you've got to have this teachable mindset. You've got to be growing yourself. And then it becomes easier. That's a, by the, two, the two excuses I hear the most are, uh, I don't have time to develop the next level person. And I don't know how because I'm not developing me. Mm. And so if you're not developing yourself, you, you cannot give what you do not have. You can't pour into someone else if you're not pouring into you. So I, I made a commitment 25 years ago. I'm going to start every morning uh, for at least 15 minutes reading something that has to do with my profession, and I happen to be in leadership development, so I'm going to read that. Um, if you're running a, you know, a service company, you're probably reading about the service industry and le- reading a, a minute or two about leadership, and just doing it every day. That consistency, again, my favorite word, starts to show up, and it compounds that that two pages here, that three pages there, and listening to that podcast and following that YouTube channel, and it it just compounds over time to really grow you to a point where you can't even imagine how you got here, but you did it very small increments, but on a daily basis moving forward. So if you start doing that with the people on your team, you start doing that with yourself, all of a sudden you're raising that lid, you're raising that lid and your effectiveness will grow with it. Any other advice, uh, practical tips, tricks for people who want to translate their personal productivity into sort of a, like a leadership level productivity? Yeah, the, the the question that normally comes up, you asked it really well because what what I normally hear is I'll ask the question that says if if your productivity, if the team if the team operated at your level of productivity, would it be a good thing? And many leaders start you know looking at their shoes and you know saying that they're actually not that productive and they're not modeling it for others. But if you want to grow the productivity of the team and to model you and that they are. Um, uh, be producing the way that you think they should be t- producing, that really is about getting in there with them. And I, I, I see this all the time. We, we hire the, we hire them who we think is the right person. We position them based on the strengths and weaknesses that we think they have. They have these strengths. We put them in that position, and we say, "Go, you're empowered. Go make right. it happen." And they come off the rails. They don't produce. They don't act empowered. They actually get in trouble, perhaps, because mm-hmm. they can't get it done. And I realize that we're missing probably three steps in the middle, which are. Are you modeling for them what you want them to do? Have you shown them the way? Uh, have you equipped them? And by the way, there's a difference between equipping and developing. Is that equipping is the skills you need for the job. So if you're asking someone to do a job, have you equipped them 
or have, did they come equipped with the skills to do that job? Is there some training that has to happen? So I hired the right people. I got them in the right role. I modeled what I want to see, and I equipped them with the skills they need. And then I need to develop them. What are we doing daily to make ourselves more uh, a higher level? Development is not a job skill. It's a life skill. Uh, development is leadership development, communication development, productivity development. You, you're growing as a person. It'll apply to any job that you have. Mm. So I hired the right person. I put them in the right role. I modeled what I wanted to see. I equipped them with the skills, and I developed them as a, as a person. Now I can say go forth and be empowered and be productive and get the job done as, as we see fit. And then I, the last step would be I measure it. Are they empowered? Are they producing results? And you say, no, no, they're falling short. Which of these steps did you not hire the right person? Are they in the wrong role? Did you model what you want to see? Did they, are, they, are they missing a skill? Are they not developed? Now I can go back and say, well, as a leader, where do I need to apply some additional resources to make sure that they, I bring them up to where I need them to be? How important is it to understand someone's, I think the, the book uses the term productivity niche. Uh, and though to me, I understand that is like, you know, so people have certain propensities and skills, certain strengths and weaknesses. Uh, where, where does a nuanced understanding of, of your team's productivity niches fall into this whole conversation? And how do we use that to help them get the most out of themselves? Yeah, I think it's um, really understanding as a leader, you need to understand the strengths and struggles that every person on your team has. So you, like part of that building relationship and making connection at level two is how, how much can I learn about where, where can you add the most value to our team, to our organization? I had a call uh, several months back now, but one of the groups I coach had a, asked for a special call, not a, not one of our coaching calls. And they said they the think about firing somebody and they needed my help. And I said, you want me to fire somebody? And they go, well, would you? I go, no, I'm not firing somebody. But they go, well, we're not sure how to, I said, what's the problem? Said, well, we really like this guy. And I thought through my little model, I just shared it. I said, is it a good hire? Would you, is it somebody you want in the organization? He go, oh yeah, we love this guy. Well, well, is he in the right position? And they thought, got real quiet. I thought, well, what? They go, we'll call you back. And so they ended up looking and saying, what was this person's productivity niche? Where were they most effective? Where could they add the most value based on their strengths, based on their abilities, based on their capabilities? Where can they add the most value to our, to our uh, organization? And what I've learned over the years is that sometimes a performance problem is really a positioning problem. Are they in the right role? And so when you hire people and you position them, you generally are hiring for, I need a frontline service person to go and do that. You hire for that specific skill. But you also say, well, is it a culture fit? Is it somebody I want on the team? Do they have the character? Do they meet our, our core values? Well, can I have both? Can I have that and the skill? Or can, you know, how does that, so sometimes you hire for, for values and for, for culture fit, and then you, you train to the skill. It's much easier, by the way, to do that. I can train to the skill much easier than I can train you for culture, uh, for values. And so now I have to understand where are you best? Where are you going to add the most value to the organization? Do I understand your productivity niche? Where are you best? Uh, and then help position you in there. Once I spend time at level two, understanding where you fit and then at level three, putting you there and helping you produce, we're all going to go a lot further, a lot faster because we're, we're actually in our strength zones. Mm. Um, what, one of the bullet points under uh, like mo moving from three to four that I saw in the book was this idea of 
cast vision continually. Now, vision gets talked about a lot these days, a lot. And I guess I guess what I want your take on is why is it so clearly articulated in the book, this idea of, of sort of repeating this day in, day out? In the book, it sounds like it's, it almost needs to be a daily occurrence, a daily announcement, certainly weekly, where you're kind of talking through the business in its final form. You're casting your vision. You're speaking about it. You're, at, you're looking for confirmation. You're looking for buy-in. Why is it so important to almost be a broken record where the vision is concerned? <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because this was probably one of the biggest misses I had as a young leader coming up was we had the January kickoff meeting every year, and I stood up to tell my right. group, my division, my organization, here's the vision. That's where we're going. And I assume they got it because I said it, and you know, three months later, they don't got it. And I'm thinking – what I said it. And then I started working for some really talented leaders who were mentoring, coaching me. And I just noticed that they, they don't over talk it, but they, they don't ever miss an opportunity to share. You know, we're talking about some client project we're working on and they'll say, let's remember where we're heading here. Our vision and what we're trying to do as an organization is right. this and this and this, and then we're going to do that. So let's, how does this play into where we actually live out our vision at, uh, I had this one CEO I worked for. I mean, he, he, we could go to a Starbucks and he could be looking at the uh, the the menu and he could say, you know, the caramel macchiato. He goes, that reminds me of our vision. And I thought, dude, how can you tie vision into a coffee order? But he was always, I'm exaggerating, but he's always looking for moments to infuse the vision back into our memories, back into the, moving from the back files to the front file. And I will guarantee you, Benji, that of the seven executive vice presidents that were reported to him, every single one of us could articulate the vision and work continuously to our teams. So if, if you're saying it once or twice, um, you're probably not, it's not going to stick. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to be continued. But here's why the why behind it is when people know why what they do matters and where we're going, their level of engagement goes up, their level of buy-in goes up, their level of permission giving to you goes up. Uh, so many people almost feel like they're irrelevant to what's going on. I don't know why what I do matters to where we're going. Matter of fact, I don't know where we're going. I'm not sure, sure what I'm doing. All of a sudden, people have all this confusion. So if I can clear the confusion, that's where we're going. Here's what your role in that is, and this is why we need you. Man, you're a, you're a solid level three producing results with this person because they know they're, they're needed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, to, to boil it down to its simplest point, I think it's just people forget. Like, people's memory is not as reliable as, as we think it is. And the business there's, there's environment changes. There's, there's, a there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of screens to look at. There's notifications on our phone. There's personal lives that we all leave. And so I like what you're saying where it's like, they, a good leader would look for maybe organic, authentic moments to bring it up in, in you know, in a split second or in a conversation. This isn't, um, this isn't a scheduled meeting every for five minutes every morning where we kind of go through it again and like that. That would be a little boring, a little monotonous. But if it if there's an opportunity to kind of linger on a point for an extra few minutes and connect it mm -hmm. back to the vision in a coaching conversation you're having or. A, or it comes up in a huddle and your team's there and you can kind of, you know, there's a parallel to something in the vision or the strategy that you want to hit on. Like there are these little moments in our in our leadership life where we're able to kind of strike that chord again. And that's that's the good way of going about it. There is a 
there's there was another point after casting vision which which says uh, uh, to move to love from level three to level four, we need to use momentum to solve problems. What's in you know in this framework? What's what what's the idea of momentum? What role does it play, and how do we utilize it to solve problems? Yeah, uh, John has the the twenty one laws again, the law of big mo, and that momentum is a leader's best friend. That if you have momentum, everything's easier. If you don't, everything's harder. Anybody that's played sports or been around sports at all, you can tell one team, and you'll hear a coach or the announcer say, wow, the momentum has really shifted. Right. And what's the what's the first thing the opposing coach does when they realize they don't have momentum? Call a timeout. Call a timeout. Yeah, they want to they stop whatever you're doing and, and throw something into that. So you think about your business, if you're producing momentum, and you can only imagine what that is, that we, we're clicking on cylinders, we're doing the the, the – jobs that we're supposed to be doing. We're winning. We're making progress. There may be setbacks. That's okay. But we we're, we believe in each other. We believe in the mission. We believe where we're going. And when you start doing that, you have this momentum. People begin to uh, have a more of a share of voice. It's not just you. When it, when you're no momentum, you're having to push and you're having to, uh, you, you bring the ideas. But when momentum is positive and people are, are uh, feeling the, the energy about being at work here with you, they start to bring more of themselves. They start to engage at a higher level. They they bring ideas. They they solve problems. They don't bring you problems. They bring you solutions to problems you used to have because they solved them. And and they don't. Everybody doesn't just look to you to be the answer to that. The momentum really involves everybody at the highest level. I, I love it. It's it, there's no you know there's no formula. Do this. Do this. Do this. It's a number of things you put together that when you that we've been talking about building my influence, developing the relationships. Uh, having the plan, setting the vision, involving the people, producing results, it, it all parlays into this, uh, this momentum that really um, moves things at a, at a better pace. Can you talk about these three categories of people? And I, I kind of give a, give away a lot in the names, but it's worth mentioning. There's momentum makers, momentum takers, and momentum breakers. And a leader ought to be kind of tuned into what category every one of the people is. Yeah, the, uh, you know, momentum makers, these are the people that make things happen. They get things done. Uh, you know, I, I joke with John Maxwell about he had this. I When I start every uh, five levels discussion, I talk about a, a, a boat that has your crew in it. And if that were your boat, uh, these 10 little heads, uh, surveys tell us, engagement surveys worldwide tell us that about three of those people are going to be rowing with you. Those are the momentum makers. They're rowing. They're with you in that. Five are going to be sitting with the oar across their lap, uh, watching the scenery go by. And those could those could be the momentum uh, takers. They, they even every time you get going good, they kind of lay their oar down. They don't participate. They don't. Um, they, they 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 row when you're watching, but they don't row when you're not watching. And and they they do the minimum sometimes. And so you, uh, perhaps they're they're focused on busy work and putting out fires. They're not doing the progressive work of moving the business. They're repairing from what they should have done yesterday, not preparing for what they should do today and tomorrow. So it's a, whatever making them lay their oar down and disengage. And then there's this nasty group at the back. It's the other two, uh, 20% at the back of the boat. They're actually trying to sink your boat. And so you hear that you hear those drilling noises while you're up there rowing. There's people trying to sink the boat. These are the momentum, uh, uh breakers. They, they undo what you've done. These are the actively disengaged and, they're not bought in or they're not participating in a way that 
that uh, you really need them to be. But I think this whole rowers, watchers, sinkers, momentum uh, makers, breakers, and takers, those are, uh, that's why I joke about John, is that we have our different, uh, different uh, uh, rhymes there. But I really like the idea that I can control that as a leader. That's a leader competency to have build momentum and to have uh, everybody rowing in my boat, full engagement. Um, they talk a lot about the Pareto principle as well in this book. And, and I, my question to you is, would you make the case that we should indeed, I, I, sorry, let me, let me back up. Pareto principle is the idea of sort of 80% of our results come from 20% of our activity. 80% of the performance on the team comes from 20% of the people, sort of like a you know pr- pretty well-known, Google it if you're unfamiliar with the Pareto principle. In the book, it makes it seem like a, a leader should be really investing the vast majority of their time into a small minority of their people, perhaps those momentum makers. Is that indeed the case? What, what's your personal take on, on, you know, do we put all of our effort on the high performers? Do we spread it out across the whole team? How does the Pareto principle kind of influence our leadership game? Yeah, the 80-20 rule um, been proven over and over and over. It's, it's, and if I had to be completely honest, just, I struggle with this, is that uh, figuring out where 80% of your results are probably coming from 20% of your efforts, 20% of your people, 20% of, of the energy you're putting in is driving the majority of the results. So can you figure out where that comes from? And that may not be the hard part. The hard part is that not doing the other things or becoming a better delegator, moving things away from you to other people. Um, one thing I've been working on lately is looking at the old urgent and important matrix, the Eisenhower matrix yeah. that says, these, why am I always in the urgent and important quadrant? What really makes a difference is over here in the not urgent but important quadrant. This is where the real, the real things happen is it's very important, but it's not urgent. So I'm, but I'm distracted by all this urgency. So if you can figure out what the, what the best return on your, um, time is and all your efforts on your energy, then that's where you should be putting your, putting your work. And it generally comes down is that, um, about 80% of what you produce comes from 20% of, of work. If you can focus on there to do that, um, really becomes a game changer. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it sounds easy. Uh, but when I, I start applying myself to it is that I'm, it's going to require me to say no. And a lot of us have trouble saying no to things that are eating up our productivity, our time, and our energy. Should we divert energy away, like leadership capital, leadership energy? Because like you said earlier, it takes time and it takes it takes emotional, even spiritual resources to be a good leader. Should we be somewhat, should we adopt the Pareto principle with where we deploy that leadership capital? Should we be, you know, I, to use an extreme example, it's like work with your all-stars and ignore ignore the the B and C players. That's may, that's maybe too extreme, but is there a case to be made for uh, putting more time into the winners and really pulling back a little bit from the losers on our team to use maybe uh, o- 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 overly explicit language? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't the losers on my yeah, team no right. we don't have any losers we just have some underperformers underperformers but, <laughs> whatever uh, yeah well I, I i do uh i had one leader that uh taught me this that he said that um you actually had he didn't have we don't none of us have unlimited time so we have limited amount of time that we can apply to so who should i give that time to and should i give it to my my highest performer most of us get pulled into um you know sucked into the lowest performers and the problem uh, employees are the ones that get the majority of our time because they're the problem. 
And what he did, he delegated that off to um, HR or somebody else to handle to work with that. And he said, I'm going to work with the high performers and the, and the medium performers to try to move them up. And I'm going to, uh, you're going to need to earn the time with me. Uh, I have limited time, so I'm going to divide it to do that. Did he just keep them from no time? No, a weekly one-on-one giving them the, the minimum amount of time. But if, if you're not going to raise your game, then you're probably not going to play in this game long and you're not going to get much time with me and it's going to probably end bad. But I thought that was that was a little more of the harsher lines I've ever seen. Yeah. But I think you need to be wise about if you're a, a coaching leader, where does where does your time get delegated? I, I, most of us we look at it, and we say, well, most of my time went to the lower performers. Yeah. Because they appear, they appear to be the problem. So can I make an intentional decision to route that time away? I'll, I definitely have my one on one every week or every two weeks with with everyone, but I I start to make it clear that I need you to raise your game so that I can invite you into the bigger the bigger game that we're playing. Yeah, and it's and it, and it, like you make a decision, and, it, and it's a quiet decision. I mean, I I don't think I'm making the case for outwardly announcing to the whole team, "Hey, I, my time is really important, and I'm only going to spend it with the winners, and everyone else can, you know, yeah. uh, go pound sand." I, I don't I don't think, but but you could just sort of quietly in your own mind think through, okay, well, I've got ten people on the team, three of them are real studs, two of them need work, and five of them are 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 okay. You know, I I'm gonna just I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna make a team broadcast about this, but I am quietly going to shift and divert some of my energy here and a little bit less over there. I think that's that's the case I would make. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I think you said it well, and it's uh, um, it's a hard thing because you know we want uh, most leaders we want everybody to succeed mm-hmm. and we want everybody to contribute, and I want I'm personally I'm a people guy, so I'm always trying to help people grow and be better, but all of a sudden I realize it's. If somebody asking that in my boat, rowers, watchers, and sinkers, could you should I be coaching a sinker to be a rower? And I happen to believe as in people, I probably could do that, but I'm also need to be honest, how much of my energy and time is it gonna pull down uh, for me to focus on people who are actively disengaged and right. trying to make things worse? Well, I should be focused on that middle section of watchers. What would it right. take to move them up to be rowers? Right. Even if I had less people in the boat, if I go from ten to eight but they're all rowing, I'm probably <laughs> much better off. So um, we're almost out of time here, but I, I do I do want to ask you just like what what does what have you noticed happens to businesses when when you have level four and level five leaders at the helm? Let's, let's talk about what becomes available to a to a hustling contractor in their built in their business that they're able to kind of take what you've outlined today, Perry, and bridge that gap from three to four. What what happens generally speaking? Well, you you know all of a sudden it's you know, we, John Maxwell wrote an entire book called The Leader's Greatest Return. And the leader's greatest return is found at level four because, as we said earlier, you're multiplying yourself, you're multiplying um, your efforts, you're, you're putting more leaders into the pipeline, you're succession planning, you're, you're being able to put people in place where you can step away and think on bigger projects, the next project, better strategies. You can look at change efforts that may need to apply. I'm coaching one guy who owns an HVAC plumbing company, and he he was doing this exact strategy. We were, we were through our coaching over a couple of years, where he began to pull himself back so that he could and he started acquiring other services and expanding his company. So the minute he started, you know, not having to be in the day to day, he could then look at mergers and acquisitions to grow the the base of his business, and then brings in new leaders to help run that. And he trains them up so. He's he's definitely a level three, level four with most people on his team as he grows them, and uh, it opens the door for all kind of a potential opportunity for the future. 
because you're, everything is not required on you. Everything doesn't fall on you. you you're, you're growing other minds that just make this a, a much better um, um growing organization going forward. Yeah. I, I, I love it. And I think that's I think that's a vision and a future pretty much all of our listeners can can get excited about. Perry, um where can people f- like follow along um so I don't know social media, a website, maybe just let us know uh where 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 to follow your journey and what you're up to there with the the Maxwell Leadership Group. Yeah, if you want to any think about these five levels and the work that we're doing there um my partner and I, Chris, have a podcast we do. Uh, you can follow that it's every Thursday. It's the Maxwell Leadership Executive Podcast. If you go on your favorite podcast platform and you put Maxwell and put executive, the word executive is is clear. John has a, there's another podcast with his recordings of John that's more to the general public. But if you want to talk about business leaders and to the uh, corporate America type uh, audiences where we do uh, on uh, the executive, Maxwell Leadership Executive Podcast, you can also find that on YouTube. And I uh, can see my pretty face on YouTube, um, or not. And uh, and maxwellleadership.com slash podcast will bring you a lot of information about what we do. I also write a blog that comes out every Tuesday that's there. But um, I think the podcast is we're talking about subjects exactly what you and I have talked about here today. And there's uh, probably 255 episodes out there by now. And so there's a lot of content. We keep them to 20 minutes or so, so they're pretty uh, easy to digest. Thank you so much for doing this today, Perry. I r- really, really appreciate it. We will link all that stuff in the description below for you guys listening at home. Um, appreciate you. Thank you, Perry. Talk to you later. Appreciate it very much. Enjoy being with you, Benji. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.